So you're a huge fan of Atlanta United. And you want Dave to give you the latest insights to our tactics. Pineda, five in the back, are you kidding me? Or maybe you can't effing believe we signed Don Dwyer and you want to hear Mikey Dobbs rant about it. Well, you've come to the right place. I'm David Katz. And I'm Mike Dobbs. And this is the the ATL on Fire podcast. Back to another episode of ATL on Fire, the podcast where we talk all things Atlanta United. But this talk episode, about it all, we talk we? about it all as well. <laughs> we know uh, a good bit about the MLS. We know a lot about Atlanta United, but we know a heck of a lot about soccer. And I don't know. We know a lot about the World Cup. We know a good bit about the World Cup. Okay, because because we're going to discuss. We're, that. That's what we're discussing tonight: World <laughs> Cup right. action. We've started in Qatar. I don't know if I'm nah. pronouncing that right. We, we already had an episode to talk about that. Right. But, um, yeah, before we kick things off, um, Carmen, do you know what Dave has brought us? What, what has he brought us here? Oh, it's a special night here on it the is. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're going to have a taste testing, and what Dave has brought is his own wine is one of the things we're tasting today. To be fair, it's mine and Enrique's. Oh, we I'm sorry. have the vineyard, yeah. And Enrique if, Alvarez. If you're not familiar with uh, Dave's Emerald Hill uh, wine, it is a Norton grape, which I believe is na- native to, um, what's the state? Um, uh, it's originally from Virginia, Virginia, but it's really the only Native American grape that really makes a really robust, you know, strong wine. Um, and it, it, it was the predominant grape in the United States prior to Prohibition. And then Prohibition wiped out all wines. But um, right after Prohibition, California, um, shortly after that, started to figure out that they could grow French grapes. So that's when, you know, Cabernet and all the other French grapes were um, very popular in California. Now, um, credit to Dave last year when we did just a tasting of his first uh, batch that he and Enrique uh, produced. Right. I was going to be shocked if it was drinkable. It was not, <laughs> it was not only drinkable. I, I gave it a classification of very good. Yeah. So this uh, year's um, batch though is 80% Norton grape and then a blend of some cab grapes. That you, yeah. That you so last, have. last year it was a blend um, of 50, 50 sort of Norton from our vineyard and Cabernet. Uh, we've now had an increase in our vintage. So um, this is almost all Norton from our vineyard. So you're drinking a true Atlanta wine. Okay. And then to compare, this is a blind taste test. We each have two glasses in front of us. Yeah. You, you've brought a Spanish. Uh, a Grenache. A from Grenache. Spain. Yeah. Which I feel is a pretty distinctive uh, tasting wine. So I'm curious yeah. if I'm able to pick that it's up. It's very hard for me to really know what is the true comparison? Obviously, a Norton would be a true comparison, but they're very hard to get. Yeah. There are Nortons from Virginia now that are quite good, but um, they're not available locally here. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've tried a Zinfandel against it, uh, but this is a Grenache. I mean, you really want a really distinctive sort of okay. red grape. So the first thing I'm noticing and looking at with the two glasses here is yeah. the one to my left yeah. is a little bit 
darker and grapey. This one to the right is a little pinker. It seems to have like a maybe a lighter color. Okay. That might just be the light coming um, from my angle here. No, I think you're right. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to start there. Dave, and is there one that I should pick up first? Or? No, that's why it's okay. blind. Go for it. So I'm gonna, if I told you which one to pick up first, then so you would know. If oh. he picks the left one up first, I should too. Yeah, let's all okay. do that then. Okay. So is that how? <laughs> so the left, the left one is what? Okay. So I'm gonna take a little sniff. Nose in there, and yeah, I don't know yet. <laughs> it this you know if I had to guess, it does smell a little younger. Um, this this uh, the scent of it, but uh, I'm gonna have to take a sip and swish it around and see what see how it goes. <laughs> There's a lot of drama here I on the know, podcast. I, know. <laughs> I, know. I, okay. I didn't mean it to be that dramatic. Well, no, I mean there there we go. I'm gonna I'm almost gonna put money before I even have a taste yep. Of the next one, that this is the Norton grape from okay. em, from Emerald Hill. All right, only because I mean you can taste that it. it's a, a pretty young uh, wine, mm -hmm. and that's yeah. that's my biggest clue. It, our wine is, in fairness, very very young. You so this is a, a 2021, right? So it um, it was produced in the fall of of 2021. And it wasn't bottled until basically the end of the spring in 2022. And you really shouldn't be opening it for almost like a year, but we're, we're fudging it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So but, that's what we did. It's the same as schedule as we did last year. We yeah. opened one in the fall. Yeah. I mean, and so if, if I'm guessing right, and that's your wine, I, very nice flavors, mm. um, but definitely a younger, younger grape, which, you know, with age could be amazing. It's definitely young. Yeah. Our wine. Yeah. Whether Very that's good. our now, wine or not. We're, Very good. we're going to the, uh, the, the... The other one. The other one. The mm -hmm. Grenache. Can I use water to cleanse? Yep, that's definitely the Grenache. So, Dave, did I nail it? You nailed it. Okay. So, the one, I was impressed that you said that ours has the darker, you know, more complex look. Yeah, it does. Um, and yes, it is young. This is the first wine tasting though that I've ever uh, done well in because I've I've, <laughs> I've I've done two of them that I hosted with like and it's really hard when you have more I think more than two wines yeah. to start mm. to yeah. figure it out but with two I felt like it was a little a little easier to just clear the mind and actually think about it so okay. I felt like I had an advantage and that wasn't a knock on on the Emerald Hill but this All is right. this is delicious yeah so I can't good. can't wait to actually Carmen? have a couple more sips yes. what do you think oh the Emerald Hill was delicious. All right. Yeah, it was great. Okay. We're going right. to circle back somewhere in the middle of the podcast. We'll interrupt you to ask you again. Okay. See what you think. <laughs> yeah, let's stick. I'm going to stick with but that okay. throughout most of the podcast here. All right. Yes. All right. So um, now, again, speaking of spirits, let's thank our sponsor, Dave. Yes. Uh, our brand new sponsor, Wild Heaven Brewery. Um, fantastic beer. We were drinking yeah. it the other day, watching the U.S. play. Yeah, absolutely delicious. And uh, again, they've got two locations, one here in Avondale Estates and one on West End, a uh, pretty new location, maybe a year and a half or so old there. Great locations uh, with this holiday week. Would encourage everybody to try to get up there for a happy hour. And we'll have a keg for the U.S. versus England, correct? Yes. And do you know which of the Wild Heaven we're going with? EBD. 
Ah. <laughs> Emergency drinking beer. Very nice. Which, if you haven't seen, is one of the coolest cans uh, on the market. Bright, yep. ye- bright yellow, can't miss it. And if you've got an emergency, <laughs> drink, drink that beer. Right. Um, Love that stuff. Dave, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, the World Cup started on Sunday as well. Yes. We have to do one more thing, though. Carmen huh. has to read uh, our other sponsor since we're going to the coaches' convention. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, right. That's right. Okay. Let's see if I can do this. All right. You don't want to miss the 2023 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia from January 11th to the 15th. This convention is the largest gathering of soccer coaches, administrators, and fans in the world. Only at the convention can you attend sessions crafted with your coaching level and desired topics in mind. Presented by world-class educators, our collection of over 200 lecture sessions and field demonstrations will offer every coach something to bring back to their own training sessions. Come learn from Amanda Vandervoort, president of the USL Super League, Anthony Flores, youth technical director of the Philadelphia Union, Becky Burley and Brett Ledbetter from What Drives Winning, Laura Harvey, head coach of the OL Reign FC, Dan Abrahams, world-renowned sports psychologist. More presenters will be announced in the months leading up to the convention, Visit www.unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org to register before the next price increase. Big right. time. Big yeah. time. We will be there, folks. So, you know, if you do come by, you know, if you are at the convention, stop by. So I, I checked in. We, we got the hotel rooms uh, sorted, nice. I think. So all good to go there. And I don't know if uh, folks haven't noticed uh, I put a new logo out for us to kind of refresh the brand heading into 2023 as well. Yeah, so, in anticipation of our coaches' yeah. so convention debut. We need a some. New logo. We needed some swag to give out. I like it. Some magnets or stickers, <laughs> so we'll be able to print some of those out. All right. Um, but yeah, we've got the World Cup going on. Let's talk some soccer, Dave. Right. I mean, full swing already. Ups, upsets today. Uh, disappointment. You want to say favorite time of the year, but it only happens once every four years. So it's really favorite time of the decade almost. Oh. World Cup. Doesn't get any better than that, Mikey Dobbs. And now with days off, I'm going to wake up with Fol- yeah. <laughs> Folgers or Starbucks and uh, yeah. get that 5 a.m. game in. Right. You weren't up at the 5 a.m. game this morning, the Argentina-Saudi Arabia? I, I slept in a little bit on that one. <laughs> okay. Fair. Fair. So... The opening ceremonies and first game, Qatar versus Ecuador, happened on Sunday. Uh, Ecuador won that game two to nothing. Yep. And then we had the big excitement yesterday, which was U.S. men's national team versus Wales. Right. Uh, the mu- much anticipated game where I think a lot of people were predicting a tie to begin with and a tie they got. So, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, because it was one of those, uh, games that felt like we we definitely could have protected the lead um and and gotten out of there with all three points but we didn't yeah we started on the front foot i mean the first half we were um just i mean dominating if you Mm -hmm. will they were were having trouble getting out of their end they were really sitting back we were attacking them all the time and it felt like we might you know not just break through but go to you know put on a second or a third 
And if my memory serves correctly, the starting lineup was Turner and Goal, uh, Dest, uh, Zimmerman, Ream, and Robinson on the back four. And then right. in front of them, we had Tyler Adams, Musa, McKenney, and then we had Pulisic in the center with Wea. No, it was Pulisic on the left, Pul- Wea on the yeah. right, yeah. and Sargent in Sergeant, the middle. That's right. So those three were, were up front. But it felt like Wea maybe was a little more central, right? In, no, it was pretty much playing on the right okay. of the front three. Maybe it was, it was just, that, just that goal. Where I mean, was, as we talked about, uh, you know, in the in the World Cup preview, Burhalter is absolutely committed to playing a true striker if you will and and it was a question of who was it going to be and it it was sergeant but it felt like he also opened up the idea of way going into that space at the certainly there's a lot of interchange it felt like that was there was some interchange of, of that which you know ended up being good in the first half with the way that it worked out um, so we, we looked fantastic. Like you said, we had possession. Um, I wouldn't say we had a ton of opportunities. We had the early cross from Wea that, yeah. <laughs> uh, created a, a, a header from the defender that the keeper on their end had to make a own goal save and, and did so. But outside of that, there wasn't a ton of, uh, action where we are shooting on goal or having uh, a lot of positive chances. Is everything all right, Carmen? Are we uh, losing losing sound? Yeah, Elliot says he cannot hear us. Oh, no. Uh-oh. So, yeah, so I'm trying to figure it out. I was just going to put uh, cats on camera and, <laughs> <laughs> and have Mikey Dobbs come figure that I'll out. I'll just keep but... talking. <laughs> yeah. Right, no problem. Well, yeah, you keep talking, and I'll take a look at, at the computer here. All right. Yeah, some technical difficulties. Um, yeah, so... You know, if, if, if we start, we can go through... Well, well, first of all, I would say, you know, 36-minute we score, right? And uh, we're on the front foot. And that goal, as we've talked a lot about, right, is um, comes off a turnover in midfield, right? So this is the way you score in the modern game, right? Is you get the players up the, off the back, you, you know, basically win the ball up the field... And um, if you turn the ball over, then you have a chance to quickly attack. This is something that we were talking about all season that Atlanta United failed to do. And in the case of the goal, we turned the ball over at midfield, which allowed Pulisic to get running right at their back four, right? Wea makes a beautiful run in between, and he now slips it in and Wea with a beautiful finish. But it starts with turning the ball over, and I think, you know, as we kind of expected, if the U.S. was going to be really good in this World Cup, it was going to have to be Tyler Adams, McKinney, and Musa dominating in the midfield, and they were, at yeah. least initially. Agreed. So, <clears throat> we do you want to go any any more detail on the first half? I mean, it was all yo. All one of the things I, I I obviously I felt like we were terrific, and and to be fair, you know, we've been hard on Burhalter, um, but. You know, some of the things that we've pointed out are a problem with our Atlanta United um, were not a problem in this game. So we talked about a little bit in the preview. So this U.S. team, if you will, has some strength that is, you know, analogous to Atlanta United. So the strength is clearly up the field in in the front guys, right? The McKinney's, the Polisics, the um, Weas, the Gio Reyna. Right. And the weakness, if you, if there is one for the U.S., it's in the back line. You know, it's 
the back line solid is kind of like Atlanta right. United. And the thing that was killing us all season Atlanta United was the outside backs just flying forward and leaving it. And what was interesting is that I felt like early in qualifying, we were doing a lot of the same. But in this um, game, one of the things that I noticed right away is like Jedi Robinson was flying down the left side. And death stayed put. And death stayed put. So yeah. we, we had three in the back and we had Tyler Adams sitting in front of him protecting him. And yeah. that's all you need. Right. Right. And so by doing that, we had a dynamic going forward and we Ooh. were able to recycle the ball as soon as we, as soon as they won it back and we're trying to get out, we were winning it again up the field. So uh, a lot of talk about the referee, which um, I felt he was a Qatari referee, which yeah, you're, you're a little concerned there. If, <laughs> if, if, if uh, any sort of, elbows are rubbed you know that's the one you'd be worried about you know but i felt like he did a pretty solid job of refereeing that game i didn't think you know there were some yellow cards that were maybe uh a little you know harsh or a little bit premature or whatever but and that could have an impact on the teams going forward right um but i didn't think that the referee really influenced the game right and to be honest, though, like out of the gates when Des goes in for that tackle where he gets the first yellow card of the game, mm-hmm. it was a pretty aggressive tackle. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was a it borderline was, yellow card it was, tackle. It was one that, um, you know, could have hurt, hurt the other player. Most, like, most seasoned referees usually let the game play a little bit mm-hmm. and say, okay, get stuck in and, and we're going to let that go. Yeah. But at least he was consistent. Um, yeah. And that's what I found to be the case after the first two yellows against the U.S. Um, he was calling it pretty tight throughout. So, um, and you know, I felt like those were adrenaline kind of um, moments from Dest. And I think who was the the other person that got a yellow? Was it Tyler Adams? That got Tyler one pretty Adams, pretty believe, quickly after. Yeah, got one. So, yeah. So, what did you think? I mean, the, the 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 story coming into this tournament that we talked about a lot was Tim Ream, right? You know, what did you think? Uh, I think he certainly played really solid. Um, you know, certainly would have started him in in hindsight as well. I thought he played excellent. Yeah, I thought that I thought that I would have started him as well, um, and I was worried about him playing so high. Actually, you know, we talked about in the podcast the last time about we didn't you know, play that high though. We, like because we had so much possession, it it wasn't like I mean we we just had time to move it around in the backfield and try to find the passes that were breaking lines. Um, and you know, I, there was no need to to really push up that hard, right? When they were giving us as much space as we wanted. Yeah, I was going to say two things. So one is I went back and watched a little bit more Fulham. And actually, Fulham doesn't play. I I, I erroneously probably said they really parked the bus. They don't yeah. actually park the bus so much. So he is a little bit used to playing up okay. the field a little bit. So that's one thing. Um, and then the second thing is I really thought, and a credit to Burhalter, they didn't start so high as we were in qualifying. They were a little bit further back. And that's okay when you have the three dominant midfielders who are sitting there because because if you stay so much further back, you leave a gap in midfield and it's hard to cover. But if you have three guys who are really good in midfield, um, then you can cover it. And one of the things I'll say is in that first half, uh, Musa and McKinney 
were absolutely fantastic in playing off of Adams and reading it. There was one time even Serginho Dest got beat at right back, and it was Weston McKinney who filled in for him and won the ball, right? So, you know, that shows you how those guys are really locked in and playing together. Yeah. And it showed we kept recycling the ball and winning it up the field, including for the goal, right? That was a win right at midfield that gave us a quick, you know, counter. So we get the one nil lead and, you know, you know, the subs usually come in the 60 or 70th minute. Um, That's a goal you should protect. Um, I felt like we had the right picks aligned with what Greg ultimately did. He brought on. Well, if you're getting maybe slightly headed. So at halftime, you got to feel like down one, nothing Wales has to come out and play a little bit more. Did you feel that way? Yeah, I mean, they absolutely did. They made a really strong sub. I think a guy named Moore came Yeah, they came brought in the, the really tall Moore guy. He's got to he, be like six five. And I felt like he immediately had an impact on the game. You could see that he was mixing it up and changing the tempo of the game. I felt like he, he was probably the one that stood out the most to me. They were certainly consciously, the whole Welsh team was trying to get further up the field and play more aggressively in midfield. Um, and we had to know that was coming, right? Everybody, yeah. if you're the U.S. in the in the locker room, you had to know that was coming. And um, we responded very poorly, right? I mean, with knowing that that was coming. So not only did we not match it at any level, but sometimes you say, all right, they get all riled up. You know, they come at you fine. Then you counterattack and you should be getting really dangerous opportunities. And we weren't. So what did you feel about that? And why not? What what went wrong? Well, McKenney obviously was picking up another na- little knock. I don't know if that had an impact. Um, you know, he came off a little bit gimpy. With, yeah, with I have it. The 57th minute was when I first noticed that McKinney was not moving around so well. Right. So that's only, you know, 12 minutes into the second half. Right. Right. So that was a huge blow. Yeah. So, I mean, it, in any case, no matter what you do, like you're going to expect a response from Wales, right? So the, mm-hmm. so the first 10 minutes, right, you're going to be under some pressure, right? Sure. No matter what you do, I think sure. that's going to be the case. But then, yes, to your point, then you should have that rebound moment 10, 15 minutes in where that that kind of creates our own pressure back on the whales. And we didn't see that to your point. Yeah, and uh, we weren't we weren't getting, you know, even in that first 10 minutes, if you're under the cosh, if you will, a little bit, you expect to be dangerous counterattacking, right? Um, and we weren't really. So one of the things that was interesting is in that first half, right, not only were the three midfielders really dominating up the field, but um, uh, Jedi Robinson and Serginho Dest were effectively getting forward and providing that extra player to, you know, have uh, basically uh, uneven numbers. They were overloading the sides. In the second half, admittedly, they were back defending more, but, you know, there was a couple of times we played into midfield and they didn't go forward, right? And one of them, right? And it felt like there was a little bit over caution. And that, to me, it... it it could be that they were just tired from defending a little bit, but I felt like early on in the second half, they weren't really tired. I think that was coached. I think they were like, look, Wales is going to come at you. Don't get over aggressive and go forward. And by being a little bit timid, it stopped us actually when we had the ball being able to make a few Playing more like passes ourselves. and counter. Yeah. yeah. 
Agreed. I mean, you see that so many times with no matter what team it is, they go into that second half and change what was working when they got the lead. And then the DNA of what success looked like all of a sudden dwindles away. I think we were a little bit over cautious coming out of half uh, out of halftime. Um, Except I'm trying to remember the order of subs. Um, We brought on it. We brought on. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Walk me through the substitutions then. Right, so um, the first sub uh, was Weston McKinney, and it was Aronson who came on for Weston McKinney. Okay, and I like that sub. Um, I think maybe you would have said go with Acosta, but what I liked about that sub is it, it to me, signaled the attitude of we need to be a little bit more on the front foot. Um, you knew Aronson was also going to be pesty and play some good defense if they're um, you know, pressing through the through the middle, he's he was going to be everywhere. So to me, that felt like a good sub. I mean, you could have put in Acosta as well, but um, I don't know. What do you what did you think about that sub? To me, it was the only. I mean, to be honest, again, I thought it was a very well coached from Ber- coached game from Burhalter. I really, you know, sometimes I've been very critical of him, and I don't think you can be really critical of him in this game, right? That um, overall, I thought it was quite well coached. I think he made the right moves. I actually think the starting lineup was right on. With the the only exception, as we talked about in in uh, in the in the preview um, podcast, was. I really felt like early on we should have experimented with playing with a false nine and allowing us to have Polisic, Wea, and Reyna all on the same field together. He never did that. He was never going to do that. He always playing with a, with a true out-and-out striker. And so then it was just a question of who he's going to pick. And I think he was, again, forcing a little bit of a square peg into a round hole. Yeah. Um, and so, But once you do that, you can't switch it on the eve of the tournament you have to play sergeant so that's my only critique of the starting lineup but other than that i thought tim ream was the right decision the midfield was the right decision you know i mean again the side almost picks itself um and he made the right decisions and i thought the substitutions as we'll get to as we go through these remaining substitutions were right on in that moment the moment i saw mckinney limping a little bit Mm -hmm. um I felt we needed another midfield quick. He waited a little bit longer. I think I saw it a little earlier than he did. McKinney was going to stay in there from, you know, come hell or high water, right? right? He's a tough guy, right? Uh, but you could see it in the way he was playing. And um, I would have gone with Kellen Acosta coming in for him first because Aronson is a terrific defensive player, really brings the energy and whatever. But I felt at that moment in the game, we needed a little bit more tactical play in the middle. Another guy who could win the ball and and keep possession a little bit more. Uh, it's just, but that's a very but, very subtle thing. I was fine with. I don't think it's a bad sub at all. None of which really cost us the game. No, not at all. Right. So I mean, that's what's unfortunate about the whole thing is, right. regardless of any of this. And he subbed out the right guy. It was clear that Weston McKinney right. was the guy who needed to come off. Yeah. Right, right away, and he made that sub, you know, immediately. Right, and then the other subs were really logical with Des being replaced with 
the, uh, the veteran Yedlin. Yeah, Yedlin. I know a lot of people are criticizing that. They said, you know, Dust was playing well. And, you know, what I, I heard some talk about how, you know, we were lost the momentum when we had Yedlin. I don't really think that's really true. I think we had lost the momentum right from halftime. And, you know, certainly putting Yedlin in for Dust didn't regain it. But it made us a yeah. little bit more defensively stout. I, right? I, I will say, though, because of what we talked about earlier, what you didn't want in that game, and particularly in the second half, is Des bombing forward. He proved in the first half he could stay disciplined and stay back. Yes. So there is some logic to why change what was working, which was Des. Well, I think ultimately the sub was not necessarily to be a little bit better defensively. It's because they're protecting Sergino Des for the a yellow whole tournament. Card. And now, he was on the yellow card, Yeah, too. and he's been injured a lot. So both yeah. of those things say you want to be a little cautious. And keep in mind, DeAndre Yedlin is really good going forward. He's not Sergio Dest, but right. he's really good going forward. This idea that you brought in a guy, you know, and you changed up our system where we don't have an attacking right back is kind of BS. Yedlin can can really, he can go forward. He's a terrific player. Yeah. And then what else, what other sub did we have come in uh, defensively? It was... Uh, so Haji came on for Sargent. Haji came in for Sargent. Yeah. And this is where I think some of the criticism of leaving your star... Giorena on the bench. If you're going to swap out a forward. Well, the last sub you, was when people felt like it. So ultimately he brought on um, from Seattle. He brought on. Oh, well, yeah, that made, makes that. That's it. Jordan Morris. Jordan Morris came on. That's for the way. And um, that was the head scratcher. That's a total head scratcher. So that makes no sense. I mean, especially when you can bring on. I mean, yeah, it makes people are saying that it must mean that, you know, Gio Reyna is not really ready to go. I don't think so. I think it was tactical. It's 100% I think, tight. Gio, I think it, did you see Gio's tweet? No, I didn't. He, he, he tweeted, I'm 100% fit, <laughs> fit and ready to go, which totally contradicted Burholter's statement. Hey, that, coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, so Gio was like, uh-uh, coach. Uh, I'm ready to go. Uh-huh. So that's a little curveball there that Gio is saying, hey, dude, I'm ready to go. I think Burhalter overthought that. He wanted to get a little bit more robust, you know, killing off the game last 10 minutes. That's a lot of battles. That's, and he overthought it. That's a bad call because you're putting the 26 guy in the roster in. Well, obviously, to, yeah. To we yeah. argued that he was 26 guy in the roster, but obviously Burhalter doesn't feel that way if he's going to play him in the right. first game in a tie game when you need a goal. But it's also a question about, so which at is, that which moment, is bad do coaching, you think right? you need a goal? I mean, that sub says to me that, yes, he was still hoping to get a goal. He was bringing on a fresh forward. But first and foremost, his job was to make sure we didn't lose. I think that last sub sort of said that. How do you feel about that? Should we should we have been going all in more? Or do you think that that there was There was smart? nothing Wales was really doing that felt like they were going to get the goal unless we smash into someone like Gareth Bale and give him a penalty kick. Well, I felt that <laughs> Wales was about to get a goal when they did. They had a lot of momentum there. As soon as they scored, they went right back to sitting back, right? They went. They clearly said to me that they were perfectly happy with a draw because as soon as they scored, they went right back to parking the bus, right? And there was no, there was no sense of we have momentum, we're going to go on to win this, yeah. right? It just didn't happen. So let's talk about, so right prior to the goal, they had a corner kick and they could have scored. They had two corner kicks, actually. And the one, the, the really tall guy, Moore, had a really open look. Um, Turner made a great save on a scrambled ball that was a diving header in the box. So it looked like 
We were a little bit, they had a lot of possession. And then let's talk about the goal. Yeah, I mean, the the goal, I, I can't remember the entire build out up, but um, the way that uh, Zimmerman came in just unnecessarily clatters into the, it was the back of Gareth Bale. It was right through the back of Bale. When the, he was not really in that much of a threatening position. Um, I, it was obviously a bit of a panic play from him. Um, so all avoidable. I have a little bit d- different take. Everybody's been saying this, that he was a little panicked, that he went to try to win the ball off of him too fast. You know, in the box, he shouldn't have been making that challenge. I don't think he was making a challenge. I actually think, it looked to me, so the ball had been cleared and it was put back in. And Bale was a little bit off to the side, a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think Zimmerman saw it. He thought he was getting to the ball first. Right. So he was just going to come and clear it. And all of a sudden, Bale got there a little bit quicker first in front of him. And he was like, ah. And he just slammed into him because he thought he was getting there first. So I think his commitment to that was not like, he's got the ball and now I got to try to win it. I think he was literally trying to clear it. And he kind of didn't see Bale quite enough. And he got in front of him. Well, that's fair. That's fair, too, if that happens. But that's also... You're, it's poorly reading the game. Oh, it's poor either way. <laughs> poor, poor reading the game in, in a moment of panic saying, yes. I got to get to the ball first and not be yes. be aware that I'm in my own box. If I touch anybody in a, in, in a way that, that I clamor into them, if I'm going to go aggressively to the ball, it, it's going to put us in a really well, bad I situation. Well, I think it smacks of the fact that we were under so much pressure. They were serving so, mo- so many balls in. And there was a little bit of panic from the whole U.S. defense that they have a really tall team, Wales, and it was like, we can't give up that cross on a goal. They were a little bit over-anxious to get the ball cleared. And that's what happens. Like, you've got to be able to possess the ball a little bit. Um, And that, to me, the difference between the first half and the second half was two things. One, Weston McKinney ran out of gas or got a slight knock or whatever happened to him. He was terrific in the first half, and he was not the same in the second half. And then the second thing is I felt like the coaching out of half out of halftime was a little overcautious. There was clearly a directive for Jedi Robinson and Sergino just not to be as aggressive getting forward, and it stopped us having that number in midfield to get out of the back. Okay. So obviously a disappointing draw because it really felt like ours. It was for the taking for three points. Uh, Friday we play England at two p.m. and obviously England put a whooping on Iran uh, six to two. So uh, they have it all on the plate for themselves to to move on with even a draw against the U.S. would put. Um, England obviously in a really good position. So what do you think England's mindset is going to be Friday? I think gas down or a little more conservative. I think honestly the narrative coming out of this is that, you know, England's got it wrapped up and um, the US and Wales are fighting for second place. I don't think it's true, right? I do not think that England is I think the best team in our group. But they are not so superior. I would doubt that England's going to go beat the U.S. and beat Wales, right? I doubt that they're going to win all three games. They happen to look really great, but against a really weak team in our group, which is yeah. Iran, right? Are so, they that weak though? Or do you think that they were just under a lot of pressure? These these are guys that England did chose, well. chose not to 
sing their national anthem with their family at home. Sure. I mean, there's a lot going on in their heads, I would imagine. You make a really good point. But that's going to be continue to happen. That's not going away. Well, I, don't, yeah, I mean, it'll... Yeah, but I, I, I've been thinking about that. I don't know that we want to play Iran in the position in, in the third. With where nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Um, uh-huh. They've already made their decisions. They've already... They've already lost face to England, right? Now it's about, hey, nothing to lose, right? So I actually am a little worried that we're getting around now in the third slot when they've just gotten spanked by England. It, it will either be one or the other. We get, we're going to get a dog fight with them or they're, they're already ready to get in the airplane and go back. But so let's say, I mean, a likely scenario, I think, is the U.S. ties England. I don't think the U.S. is going to lose to England. Everybody thinks England's going to come in and walk oh. over us. I don't think so. I don't think England is that good, and I don't think the U.S. loses to England. I think it's possible we beat England. I think it's more likely we get a draw. But if we get a draw, I think Wales is going to struggle to beat Iran, but I think they will beat Iran. So let's say they beat Iran 2-1 to one or one nothing, and we draw with England 0-0 or 1-1, right? So then England has a win and a tie. We have two ties, Right. Wales has a win and a tie. Right. And you got to presume we're going to beat Iran in the third game. And so all three teams are going to end up with a win against Iran. One tie. We have no idea what Wales is going to do to England. But here's where I think it's going to happen. Right. I think Wales England is not going to end up in a tie because that's a super rivalry. Maybe England wins. Maybe Wales upsets them. Right, and then I think the U.S. can get through just with a tie, tie win, easy. Okay, and against England, uh, I think I read today that Harry Kane is uh, nicked up pretty good. He's in a yeah. an- ankle brace or something. Yeah, not good. So, well, good for us. Uh, good for us. Yeah, not good I for said, them. what are you talking about? Not good. <laughs> very good it's for very, us. Very good. Yeah, what okay. are you talking about? Um, so, starting lineup on Friday versus England. What do you, what do you suspect will be the case? Starting lineup against England, um, I think that Aronson will be in the starting lineup okay. as a more defensive forward player. Yep, um, used to playing against all those players in the league. Yeah, and I wouldn't surprise me if McKinney with that slight knock is not in the starting lineup, and it's Kellen Acosta instead. Okay. Um, if McKinney really is ready to go, he'll be in the starting I think he's going to be okay. I mean, when he limped off, it looked like he needed some ice and a bath and could try to give another 70 minutes in, in the England game. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but I would expect that Aronson is going to be in the starting lineup, um, presumably for Wea. Um, it wouldn't shock me if Gio Reyna's in the starting lineup, but I don't think so. Um I think there will be some rotation of the squad, right? It wouldn't even, I, I would doubt, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if Sargent is not starting, if maybe it's Haji starting this match and they rotate that player too, right? Um, but I certainly expect and Aaron still to no be Gia on. Reyna in the England game. I don't think so. Really? I think you got to get him in. Because if you're saving players, you're saving players for England to be a little bit more defensive up top because you know you're in for a little bit more of a fight, right? So that means Aronson's a little better defensive player maybe than, uh, or at least he he pressures more all over Mm -hmm. the field than, let's say, Awea. So I think that's an obvious switch, and I think he'll make it. I think Aronson starts over Awea. Um, You could argue even if Weston McKinney is healthy, if it were me, I w- if Weston McKinney is really ready to go, I would play 
Um, Adams, I would play Acosta and McKinney as a real defensive three, right? And really robust in the middle. I mean, if England's going to beat us, it's going to be through their Declan Rice in the middle, right? Um, so I wouldn't surprise me. I think Kellen Acosta should start. I think, I think Berhalter sees that or whatever. I think Kellen Acosta starts. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like you've got to get. I, I feel like a you got to leave Wea on the field. Why? Why he take was our Wea? best player. So why are you saying take him off? I don't get that. Because well, I'm I'm not saying that we should. I'm saying that's what he's going to. Okay, do. no, I'm oh. not saying what he he's oh, going. Oh, to do. I'm saying what oh, do you? I want thought to you do? were asking me what he's going to do. Okay, I didn't say what I what I think he what okay. I would do. Yeah, yeah, not what Greg would do. <laughs> no, oh, I wouldn't. If it were me, I would leave. Uh, way on he was terrific and i would give him another start i mean again i would to me i would now move even though we haven't played it very much i would move polisic into a false nine and i would bring on um either aronson or Gio Reyna mm-hmm. as the the other third of the yeah. forward i wouldn't play sergeant at all i wouldn't bring on haji i think that's forcing it um and i would also bring on kellen acosta either for musa or for um, Weston McKinney, depending on yeah. whether Weston McKinney is, is hurt or not. But I'd go with a little bit. I've said this all along. Moose is terrific. And when we're playing on the front foot, he should be in there. But I think if we're playing a little better team, we need a little more oomph and grit in the middle. Kellen Acosta should be in there. Okay. So I can't disagree with Kevin Acosta if McKinney can't go. I'm good with that. Now the question on my side is like who, who starts in that three. And I think it's the same as I would have said uh, a couple of weeks ago in the podcast, which is Aronson out left, Pulisic is the false nine, and then way out right. That would be what I would go with. Yeah, but I, I but I, but I also wouldn't uh, hate it if, you know, Aronson um, was out on the right and way, but that's the thing. This is where it's tough. Like if, if, if Aronson was on the bench and, and Gio Reyna got a shot at the start on the left forward side, I'd be okay with that too. I mean that's that's some powerhouse stuff with Wea on the right, uh, Gio Reyna on the left, and Pulisic up front. I mean that's a handful. I mean, having not seen Wea going into the tournament, I would have said, "Look, my plan all along was to rotate," and I think I said this during yeah. the beginning. And I would have said, "Obviously, Wea should rotate out, and then it should be Gio Reyna or Aronson." Um, you know. I said originally, and I would still say this: that you know, having Aronson as one of those positions against a uh, a better England team gives you a lot more pressure up front, uh, and that helps. You can get a turnover or whatever. Yeah. I think that the answer is going with the false nine, leaving Pulisic, and so you can have Aronson, Pulisic, and Wea, or Aronson, Pulisic, and Gio Reyna, and have yeah. Wea be the guy who's going to change the game off the bench. The reason I like Aronson on the field when Pulisic is, is on the field is because you can let – Aronson do the dirty work and run around and let Pulisic just relax and find the spaces and do what he does. Because you saw that in the, in the game uh, on Monday against Wales, Pulisic was having to do some of the, the legwork of what you would expect Aronson to do. Cause you're not going to see that from Tim way as much or Sargent. I mean, both work hard, but they're not as pesty. Well, and if you look at this England team, right, with Maguire and Stones in the middle, right, they are not going to be troubled at all by any physicality 
right? So Haji or Sargent, who are a little bit more physical, a little bit more of a clap, prototypical, you know, striker, target man, they're not going to bother them. Who's really going to bother them is Pulisic, right? Because Pulisic can go by Maguire or Stones like they're a cone, yeah. right? None of those guys can stay with him off the dribble, yeah. right? And so I think I would make them real uncomfortable with Pulisic right in the middle, right up front with them and say, hey, take out this guy. I like it. All right, so um, you think we can win against England, but what is your, like, if you're putting money on it, what do you think, another draw? I think it's going to be another draw. Okay. I don't think we lose to England. Um, I just... And, yeah. I mean, look, if we get a draw, you know, you would have taken that at the beginning of the World Cup to say, hey, all you got to do is go beat Iran, and you're, you're through. I mean... Well, you know, if we get a draw... Right, we're not absolutely through because with five points we wouldn't be through if we beat. Well, Iran. because what could happen is Wales and England could draw. So if all three teams beat Iran and every single other result is a draw, then it all comes down to goal differential, yeah. right? So that's assuming that Wales and England has a winner. So you got to feel like uh, England's already in a good position there to go on with well i don't think so that's my point is that everybody's saying that england is through england only beat the weakest team in the group that everybody's but they got a but they got a four point goal differential so in that scenario they're in the the catbird seat yeah certainly their goal differential will help yeah for sure yeah um okay um what else has happened in the world cup that's uh, interesting oh that argentina team lost today to <laughs> saudi arabia yeah and i think the thing that we have to talk about that is the var right oh, so yeah. so the technology as we talked about oh a month ago actually really mm -hmm. you know they made it this announcement mm -hmm. that they're using a new technology in the world cup there's all these sensors in the yep. ball and that it's so the moment the ball gets kicked, yep. the computer can actually draw artificially draw the line and in semi real time can make that call. Yep. It doesn't automatically make that call because there's, you know, considerations whether they've played to that player or whatever, but it it automatically tells the linesman in real time that whether the was, guy was in front. Right. And there was a moment in time where people were in an offside position right. when the ball was being played forward. And which, so, which, yeah, okay, so sorry, I just, yeah. uh, oh, here's what I want to say about VAR, because I did not see the Argentina game, didn't watch it, so I don't have a sense of how the technology um, was perceived. Mm -hmm. But what I felt was clear in the Ecuador game was, like it or not, technology works. And to me, it, you know, should have speed, sped the game up. It got an offside that otherwise would have been extremely difficult for a human to see. Very. <laughs> mm -hmm. But when you looked at it, and I did and on videos afterwards, it was that weird situation where the goalkeeper actually is not a part of the offsides equation mm -hmm. as far as being uh, the second to last person back. It mm -hmm. was another defender because the goalkeeper came out and the offender's foot who had headed the ball was actually behind the goalkeeper, which was kind of weird in its own right. And it just was this crazy situation that was yeah. like one in a million type of thing. And the only thing that got, would have ever gotten that right probably is a computer. Sure. And it whether you like it or not, it was accurate. Well, that was fascinating to me in that first game of the World Cup. VAR showed that whether you like it or not, it got the call correct, which is the only thing in my mind offside is black black and white and the only thing they need to do now is use this technology if it's clearly working like that and make the game move faster okay so 
I want to disagree with you. So you've been saying for years, and you're 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 absolutely being consistent now yeah. that that there should be technology which could absolutely determine whether someone is yeah. truly offside, which they kind of have now, yeah. and they are making that call. Okay, now you obviously didn't see the Argentina game, but yeah. in two of the calls, the player who got called offside wasn't ostensibly in front of the defender. Yes, there was a body part. I don't know whether it was an elbow or a knee or something well it's it doesn't matter they if a part of their body that's yeah. defined as offsides in front it's offside well in the premier league they've now changed this right because early okay, on in it the season, wait hold on a second early on in the season there was a call where i can't remember who it was but the player was completely behind the defender and was pointing to where he wanted the ball and his finger was beyond there yeah. they called it offside and there was such an uproar about that because he was actually really behind the defender on that play he didn't have an advantage at all and it's really against the spirit of the game to take away an attack i mean you're an attacking guy right to take yeah. away a goal for that seems kind of against the spirit of the yeah. game Offside, you just need to define what the body parts are. Yeah. In every league, it needs to be the same. Right. And so that way, there's no confusion about what you're talking Fair, about but here. But do you think that we should change it so that it's not defined as any having a finger above the line that needs to be actually something different, I more substantial? I don't care. It just needs to be <laughs> defined. So you, you can... But you have to no, make a decision, Mikey Dobbs. No, what do you feel? I... I I, feel, I really don't care. It just needs to be a part of the body that's defined, that makes sense, that is on or off sides. And then the technology decides it. And then you can stop arguing whether it was right or wrong because it was either right okay, or wrong. I agree with you. But in so in this scenario that, that happened in the Premier League where the guy was pointing, in your if you're going to define it, are you going to define that as onside or offside? As I understand, it has to be a part of the body that can score a goal. So it's your shoulder and foot, which is why the arm doesn't matter. So they cut that part out in the technology. And I yeah. think that's how they're doing it in the world cup. If I'm not mistaken. So if your arm is in front, this is not a part of the offsides vehicle. That's a good, we got to look that up. Cause I don't think so. I think they are in the world in the premier league. They define it that way. I think in the world cup, they're still using it as what you were saying is any, anything. It's literally going for whatever so far. This I, further. We'd have to look it up, but I don't think you're right. All right. Maybe th- Carmen can look I think, into that. For us. I think they cut it off of the shoulder. Cause it's a pretty definable that's part of the they're doing in the premier league it has yeah. to be uh you know a right. goal scoring and, and i think that's how they're doing in the world cup we could we can look that up afterwards it's a good question but to my point is it just needs to be consistent across all mm-hmm. leagues and you we can argue whether the arm or whatever should be a part of it, it doesn't make sense because you can't score so i down. think they i i don't disagree with you i think you wanted to find it and you got to stick with the definition and by the definition they got the calls right the computer was perfect as yeah. you have always wanted the computer yeah. is perfect and it made a perfect call what really you know frustrates you is twice argentina had a real legitimate offside. attack and it was offside <laughs> be onside and yeah. and that's just it. It's, it goes back to my analogy of tennis once once people get used to this, they'll stop whining about whether it was on or off sides because it just is part of the game. You know that you can't be offside, so don't be offside. Yeah, you got to be a little bit behind it. Yeah, I love, but you know, it's funny. I love attacking football, and and to me, I want the rules to really to 
if in a perfect scenario, and I agree with you, there's there's hard to have a perfect scenario and you've got to have that definition. But in a perfect scenario, the rules are really there to make sure nobody gets an unfair advantage, right? So in the scenario we're talking about where the guy is pointing, it is not an unfair advantage. And the rule in a perfect world should be like, that's not a problem, right? Um, it gets very difficult yeah. because as soon as you start defining it, it's very easy to say any part that's ahead, the computer can call that. Yeah. As soon as you don't do that, now you get a little bit of subjectivity to right. it. I, exactly. Right. It's got to be you commit to it, and then that's what the world gets used to in terms of understanding that it's completely black or white, and that's how players just need to adapt to understand where the line is. I had an it's idea, a scoring though, part of their body, not being advanced of a, of a defender. I had an idea that maybe it should be the thing that's closest to the ground. It doesn't matter. I don't care. That's okay? What, but what do you I do? Do you like that or not? Care. No, it, no I don't care. No, seriously, I don't care. <laughs> I don't bloody care. Just make a decision yeah. it doesn't matter okay but I'll the tell spirit you. of the game is it's freaking close enough yeah. but you have to define what it is and use technology to take yeah. a linesman whose job to see it in real time is also an impossible task fair it's too hard fair so use the technology define what it is and implement it and make it happen faster that's all i care about he's heating up Yeah. All right. That's a, so, lot, that's a lot of years of pent up. It is a lot. I know it's been grating on you for years. And you finally got your technology so we can even have yes. this, this and, argument. If and you that's will. my point is the yeah. technology works. It's still humans that are screwing up either the interpretation okay. of what offsides is or FIFA or the, the, the league not saying this is how it is for every league. I'd like for it to be defined as where your feet are or where the, the lowest you know, part to the ground are if you're, if you don't have a foot on the ground, because to me, the advantage is actually where you are with your feet. If you're leaning, if you're pointing, if your elbow, it's not really an advantage. I love it. Let's implement it. <laughs> so we can use the technology. We can yeah. make the definition. Like, Everybody can be happy. It could be your midsection. It could be your foot. <laughs> Elbows, knees, and toes. Elbows, knees, and toes. The whole point of it is, is right. Is it's going to be close? Right. It's going to be close no matter what, right? They've so gone back to elementary school, yes. people. All right. <laughs> Where's the wine? I'm out. Um, you can have that. One. All right. What are we talking about next, Dave? While well, I get the get we're the continuing on in the World yeah. Cup. What else? What else did you see? What did you like? What did you um, not like? I mean, France comes back. Oh, the right? so the Socceroos uh, had me excited for a moment there. I felt like they. Played really well this morning uh, against France, who, you know, looked a little shaky there all of a sudden. I mean, you know, the Australian team is definitely playing really strong soccer there for, for a bit. They scored a great goal. And, oh, yeah. and they had a couple other really close chances that were off the bar or yeah, whizzing, just wide. whizzing when, over again, the crossbar. Again, where, where uh, France gave up the ball, giving out of the back. You know, and it's actually interesting because the thing that turned the tide in that game was Australia trying to play out of the back, giving up the ball. We keep yeah. talking about it, right? That the way you score in modern football, by and large, is not working the ball from your back to your middle to your forward. It's turning the ball high up the field, right? This is why Guardiola and Klopp, you know, they realize this gang and press and the whole thing, right? Um, it's just that some people don't get it, right? In order to turn the ball over up the field, it starts not with the guys up the field. It starts with the back. Okay. Right. So I thought that was 
That was a terrific game. The other one I wanted to talk about, uh, Mexico-Poland. Did yeah. you see that game? I did see a bit of it. Um, I felt uh, the, the, the save by Ochoa, pretty awesome. Terrific. Um, He's been a terrific... You know, this is his... Uh, here's a trivia question. Oh. How oh. many World Cups squads has Mehmet Ochoa been in? I'm going to guess this is his third. Uh, I'm going to go five. Five. She got it right. It's his fifth squad. Now, he's only appeared in three tournaments. The first two, he was one of the backup keepers, so he never played. But this is his fifth tournament being on the Mexico squad. So, I mean, and he's been consistently terrific the entire time. I am tired of playing against Mehmet (laughs) Cho in the CONCACAF. It's it's horrible. He's great. Hopefully, yeah, CONCACAF. I wish him, um, you know, safe travels, yeah. bon voyage. You know. <laughs> but I felt like it was good karma too. Um, the the penalty kick, I can see why they gave it. Um, yeah, it was certainly mm-hmm. one of those that um, you could say I wouldn't have been overly disappointed if they they hadn't have called it and said that was kind of just a push in the back or however you wanted to see it. But at the end of the day, I felt like it wasn't what should have decided the game, so I was happy that they saved the PK. So the early talk in this World Cup, you know, you've seen the referees. Every time the first corner kick goes, they're talking, they're talking about, you know, they're really trying to cut down on all the shenanigans, you know, the the, the handbags at 12 paces, if you will, the wrestling matches, yeah. right? They're really trying to cut down on that, and they're calling some things, right? Um and to me, okay, I like the idea you're calling, you know, cutting down on it, whatever. You make people scared. Hopefully they stop doing it, but you still don't want to decide a game that way. Yeah. And I'm a little bit concerned in this World Cup that they're trying to implement that and they're trying to cut down on it. And in doing that, they're really inserting the referees into the game and causing calls. So what do you think? Yeah, I haven't seen anything. Are you worried about too many penalty kicks in this tournament? I haven't seen enough egregious ev- evidence of that yet. Um, like that Mexico call, I think, was a tough one uh, against Poland. So, like I said, that was very much on, on the fringe. The one against the U.S., I was like, yeah, that was a penalty kick. Oh, that was kick. definitely a penalty you know? so, uh, <laughs> I'd like to say it was a terrible call. It wasn't a penalty, but so, it was clearly I, a penalty. So I may have missed some of the other ones not to have the full body of evidence the, the first five games or so, but... Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, overall, I, th- I feel like the PKs have been pretty spot on. And I think um, Mexico, the tie against Poland, um, maybe Carmen, you can comment on this, but I think that Mexico is in deep trouble. Because, yeah, because, and the reason why they're in deep trouble is because Argentina lost. Yeah. Right? So Saudi Arabia has a win, right? And so you got to figure... You know, it's likely Argentina roars back to life and, you know, probably, you know, beats Mexico and Poland, right? If that happens, everybody's scrambling around for second place. And Saudi Arabia now has a huge advantage of having beaten Argentina. Right. Right. So they have a win. You know, if they can get ties against the other two teams or if they beat any of the other teams, even if they beat Poland, right? They beat Poland. Mexico's out. Yeah. 
Yeah, that Saudi Arabia win really It really throws that grip. So where our 1-1 tie is not so bad because the favorite won. England won. It wasn't an upset, right? So now we're going against a better team and we just got to go get a result. You know, if anything, even if England dominates or whatever, we just have to do better than Wales in the last two games and we're through, right? So our tie is not such a bad result. The tie for Mexico is a really bad result because Argentina lost. Yeah, okay. So that really puts, it throws the whole group into disarray. Now, maybe, I mean, Argentina, as this happens, there's always a big team that just falls flat on their face, right? And if Argentina loses again, which they might, they're playing Mexico next, right? If Mexico beats Argentina, they're out, right? You lose two games, they're out, right? And you could see a scenario where Mexico and Poland or Mexico and Saudi Arabia go through from that group. Yeah, it's, I mean, Mexico is capable of getting a result against Argentina. Argentina is not good in the back, right? And in particular, I don't understand why they yeah. didn't start Martinez for Manchester United. And as we were talking mm-hmm. about in the preview, I felt like they started Otamendi instead, and he's just too old. Mm-hmm. Right now, I, did he really cause that, you know, them to give up the goal? No. But... Um, that is a liability, in my opinion, and Mexico can potentially take advantage of that. Yeah. Do you think Saudi Arabia is any good? Or they just got a lucky win? It was all luck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they needed two elbow, knees, and toes offsides call, yeah. right? They So Argentina had three goals in the back of the net that got called back because VAR three, right? They scored on an absolute... You know, miracle, right? There, it was a great shot, but it's not a shot that was yeah. high percentage, right? Their second goal was was not mm-hmm. a great one, and so that's not. You needed all those things to happen, right? Argentina dominated possession; they dominated shots, right? That was not a not. Yeah. A what did you think of uh, the Dutch? I thought the Dutch were not great. Yeah, they only um, look good the last twenty minutes there. Because Senegal is not great without Mane, they're they're not nearly as good a team, yeah. and they didn't. Senegal to me looked. I was thinking that Senegal, even without Mane, was going to be a little bit better team, and they didn't look it. And the Dutch, I mean, yeah, they scored two goals late, good for them, but um, they didn't look to me like they are legit at all. No. Yeah. But they, I mean, they could just be a slow. Warm yeah, up. there's always teams that just look terrible and keep getting through and right. getting through and getting through. The World Cup, if there's a history, and you never know until you see this World Cup, but if there's a history, it's the teams that are better defensively go through. Mm. And anytime you have Van Dyke playing in the yeah. back, you're better defensively. Yeah, I mean, but they look they look pretty shaky in that game though defensively. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, but they, they, they didn't give up a goal. <laughs> right, right. But all around, they did not yeah. look that impressive at all. No. So, Carmen, what are your thoughts early on? What teams do you like? What teams do you not like? And what are your early thoughts from the early World Cup action? I've enjoyed I've enjoyed all the games. I think I've watched every single one. Like I even woke up at 5 a.m. Carmen doesn't actually work, so yes. that's fine. <laughs> Don't tell my boss that. <laughs> Um, but I thought France looked really good and it almost was one of those things that the depth was almost 
highlighted by the fact one brother went down when yes. um, the other so team scored and they the brought other. in another brother. Yes. <laughs> it's like, really? Um, but I thought they looked really, really good, especially with their attack. Yeah, yeah they didn't look like they missed Benzema that much. I yeah. mean, God bless him, Olivia Giroud, you know, every World Cup, that guy's, you know, to be fair, in every, Giroud for his entire career, if he gets really, really good service, he can score. Yeah, well, he almost and, had that Joseph Martinez scissor kick, too. Yeah, yeah, and France gives, you know, they dominate possession, they give good service, right? He's a really good finisher, right? And yeah. Benzema's a much better player, but Gerard is a good finisher, and... um you know, they didn't miss a beat with that. No. And Not at all. As much as I dislike Mbappe, God, he's good. <laughs> he's scary. Yeah, and I always... I so never... don't want to root for him, but, man, he can play some... Yeah, yeah and I can never pronounce his name, but Tuchkemeni or whatever his name is, uh, is terrific in midfield. Yeah. I mean, that mm. guy can really play. Yeah. He's young. He's good. You're not missing Conte at all. Pogba yeah. at all. Right, forget it. Is Pog- Pogba on the squad? No, they're both... Both okay. injured and missed okay. the whole World Cup. Yeah. So, so and and you know injuries we haven't really talked about it, but you know Benzema goes out at the last minute. You know Mexico is missing Jesus uh, Corona, who is a big yeah. part of their team. Uh, there's a lot of big players. You know uh, Mane is not playing yeah. in this tournament. There's a lot of big players. Varane for France is not there. Varane, Conte, Pogba. Ugh. There's a lot of players who are not. Um, available. Um, so we did get some news today on the Atlanta United front. I don't That's know if you correct. Saw that. I, I know you saw it because I texted it to you. There's yeah, a- and I got a text <laughs> from my cousin who's the Seattle su- Seattle supporters yeah. um, section who has been on the podcast. Yes. And we've stolen their president and yeah. CEO. So first we stole their assistant coach, and now we've stolen their president. Yeah. So tell us, do you know about him? I know nothing about him. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do know that he was, you know, one of the candidates like Felipe had, uh, you know, mentioned early on would make sense to be a part of the interview pool. So sounds like they just need to wait for the season to be over to kind of uh, maybe tie up loose ends and, and make it happen. So here's what I know about him. So he was a college player at Duke, I believe. Yes, he was. Carmen. Class of 94, so I oh. just missed him. Okay. <laughs> Carmen, for those of you who don't know, was a very excellent player at Duke herself. Um, and <laughs> so very modest. Um, so he played at Duke. He's a goalkeeper. He played in MLS for five or six seasons. Okay. Um, then he became, he went and got a law degree, but then he... Um, uh, became the president of Salt Lake City. Oh. He was the president there where the only time they won the title. So he won the title. Um, then went to Seattle. He's won two titles at Seattle. Twice, I think twice, he's been the MLS Executive of the Year. He's won three MLS Cups as a president. So all of so those things he's sound got a, good. He, he's got a good resume. Is what Certainly in MLS yeah. he does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we talk about, right? you know, you are your record. Yeah. Right. And as a president, you know, it's a little hard because then, you know, you might have a great team like us and, <laughs> and, and not necessarily do well. But in general, even as a president, you are your record and his record's good. So do you think he'll have some bias for Pineda? And, ah, good question. And give, give him uh, a little bit longer leash. Yes. Unfortunately, uh, yes. I so, think they're probably good friends. Yeah. And oh, that's a. 
downside. <laughs> downside. But uh, so, uh, if we start the year off awful, though, don't you think the fans are going to be calling for Pineda's head, and that he's got to listen to that, regardless of? Uh, I mean, let's say it's the a fans real, will a real, be calling for it, but does he have to listen to it? No, well, he's the president. How bad of a start does it have to be for him to be crazy not to? Pull the plug. But the thing is, we're never going to have the kind of horrible start that gets you fired. Even this year when we ended up so poor, like, we win a game or two here. There, We have enough talent. We never have such a horrible start. Yeah. Okay. Well, what did you think about the, the players we've released? Okay. You want to no, go through them? I didn't shed any tears. No. <laughs> well... Not one. There's one I think that's worthy of talking about. So we, lo- we released Cisneros... Well, I don't have a problem with the Cisneros release, which would be the only one I have a half tier because he's serviceable. But the the rumor now that there's positive talks with Joseph Martinez that Carlos Bocanegra said in his interview, like, hey, we're having positive discussions. Nothing's decided yet. Um, He's an Atlanta United player. I still felt like that was um, just leading us to a, a more amicable departure type of situation that's going to happen than it was of a true signal that Joseph is going to resign with the, or finish out his, his contract, which goes for the next year. So I don't know. Did you, do you think Joseph has any chance of staying here with that article or the interesting thing is that I felt that that article, um, really suggested, you know, our good friend Felipe suggested that, you know, Martinez was gone. And then the article comes out and says that, no, 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 that's premature, that Bocanegra and him are having great talks. And it contradicted, it quoted the Felipe Cardenas article and said, no, 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 it's all different and made it seem like, oh, they're they're amicable now and he's going to stay. I like your take that Actually, maybe that just means they're amicably departing. Uh, yeah. What do you think, Carmen? <laughs> I think it's a fresh take because I think most people out there read that article and they say, hey, wait, he's staying. I'm kind of with you. I still think he's going. Interesting. So yeah. you think the amicable is more like it's an amicable, I can never say that word, amicable divorce. Right. Like, yes. I think, like, I think uh, Boca, Boca got another chance on the microphone and was like, hey, Joseph and, I, Joseph and I have a good relationship because yeah. they very well might actually. Right. I think they do. Be, because Pineda is, uh, Boca is not the one who's sitting him, yeah. you know? And yeah. so Boca could be in a position where he's like, yeah, I don't know what the hell Pineda is doing. I can't fire him because I got to wait on a new president to do that. Who's not going to fire him for another year at least now. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been talking to Joseph and since we had Eros Campoyo, I think it's best that you go that way. <laughs> we go this way. And that we give you some sort of special treatment parade at some point in the future. I don't know. Um, but that's how I took the, the interview. I think it's a good take, actually. And I hadn't really thought about it till you said that. But I think you're right. Okay. I hate to say that. Yeah. So what does it mean that we haven't got, like, we didn't get rid of him already? It's just that we have to figure out the best way but to do it. But it also could or? be that he's playing that up to say, oh, we're amicable. So he could stay as a way. Because once you say that he's not gonna stay right. then his his resale goes right through the ground right ah. because everybody's like they're having to sell and so we're gonna buy him on the cheap yeah so 
They may just be doing it in terms decoy. of the, to yeah. try to make sure the market that's, value that's stays another up. good take. That's, that's another smart. good take. That's smart. The moment you say that he's not welcome here anymore, then he's not worth a major transfer fee anymore. Because yeah. he's like, well, we know you're not going to keep him, so right. we can get him. On but the, I don't we'll know. Like, you out. Any smart team should look at it and be like, he played not even half the season of minutes and had half the goals of the leading goal scorer Mukhtar. I mean, come on. Yeah. He's still got some goals in him. I agree. All right, so the other players who went, Cisneros, um, I also, I don't really have a problem with him. The one who I have a, maybe a little bit, I'm like, eh, is Godinho. Um, they released Godinho. Who's, who is our goalkeeper, Mikey Dobbs? Well, it was barely Godinho last year, right? So yeah, but the, the it, question is better than Rios Nova. I, well, and Rios Nova Nova's, was released too. Yes. Well, and the other hurt keeper was also released. I, I would, <laughs> I would be yeah. more disappointed if I knew who Godinho actually was. We never learned who he truly was, and we only got to see him in a handful of games, right? Yeah. So, and he certainly didn't knock my socks off. I think he made some clumsy uh, uh, attempts, but wasn't wasn't bad, right? So... Again, I'm not crying over his loss. I feel like Bocanegra and Spectre should be out, be able to go out on a market full of American talented goalkeepers and pull somebody in that's our next Sean Johnson. You can't do that at Atlanta United. That's why I'm not shedding a tear. I was like, if we can, if we can scout half our ass off, like we should be able to find two goalkeepers that are an upgrade. Let's go get Andre Blake. Let's get him. <laughs> He's not a free agent though, right? Maybe yeah. you could look that up for us, Carmen. I don't think he's a free agent, but yeah. That. I don't so think the, so. so. But that, but once you get rid of release Gadino, then you're committed to finding a better goalkeeper. Well, don't we need to find a better goalkeeper? Well, or the alternative is they're committed to saying that um, that Guzan is coming back and he's fine and he's going to be our number one again. Well, I think they're committed to that regardless. Ooh, that's not good. Oh, I know. <laughs> I think they're full on committed. Oh, to I that. think they're oh, full yeah. on committed to that. Uh, yikes! Definitely, yeah. But but we because honestly, but, he's pretty old to begin with, and that's a bad injury for okay. a goalkeeper. But right? this is so. This is the silver lining, right? So Achilles. I do think that they are planning on bringing Brad in as this to prove that he can be the starter and lose the job. Sure, but lose it to whoever this person is that they go and get as hopefully his replacement that is a stud. And so, unfortunately for Brad, maybe he loses the job as the season starts. But it makes a huge difference, though, because so if you think that Brad is going to be back and whatever, then you go get a replacement. And Alec Khan, uh, Alec Khan, sorry, um, um, you know, who's a very good backup. I think you get a Brad Guzan in his prime like when in, I think you go get a Brad Guzan 2017 replacement. Mm. Uh, Sean Johnson, free agent. I'd sign him. How old <laughs> is Sean Georgia, Johnson? He's from Georgia, right? Giddy up. How, how old is Sean Johnson? Let's see. How Let's old? Right. I, I mean, think I, he's still got a few years. I would sign him in a heartbeat. He's really terrific. Yeah. I mean, he's at the World Cup right now for a reason. Yeah, not just that. I mean, he's been terrific. Um and he's 6'3". Of course he is. Yeah. All real goalkeepers <laughs> are. How old is he? 33. So he's oh, not super young. Okay. He's, yeah. not, he's not a spring chicken. Yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, goalkeepers have another, you know, three years plus of a field player, though. So that's not Yeah, goalkeepers crazy. are certainly good to 35, 36. Yeah. So he's got another. And he, he is really athletic still. Yeah. So 
I'd still sign him. I mean, what? Brad Guzan's what? 36, 37? Because also at his age, then probably it's not going to cost us a lot. How old is Brad Guzan? I think he's like almost 38 now. Is he? Yeah, he's way up there, right? So. Um, we five years when we, yeah. yeah, when we signed Guzan, he was sort of Sean Johnson yeah. age. So, yeah, go That's for what I'm it. Saying. There we go. Go for it. Anyway, so and then, um, and then the rest of the players that we released were all fringe players. So Ambrose is gone again, and Alex Dijon gone again. <laughs> and, uh, anybody Bye-bye, else? Alicia. I don't think that we released anybody up the, uh, the the other big news is that we re-signed long-term uh lennon how do you feel about that i'm okay with that i mean he's he's a mls plug player i hope we signed him to a deal that suggests that we think he's better than that oh i know we think he's better than that i'm just saying <laughs> what i think and i, I mean, don't know if he's better than that. i mean i i love lennon in a system right lennon yeah. is in a system where you've got you know, if you have Wales Moore, who's six five, and he is a target guy, right? Oh my, you know, the problem with Lennon away. is like he's already peaked, right? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I don't think that Lennon is is it's, the we're, answer. We're seeing the best of Lennon we're ever going to see. Yeah, and then we just signed him to a five year deal. I mean, yeah. I'm only he's still okay young. With, he's still, still young because I think he's only like twenty six. I think he's going to ride that plateau, which right? in, you know is going to be okay as. Hopefully, a substitute player. Like again, Carmen, you can look it up, right? But his Lennon is like twenty six, right? He's not. Yeah, I think that's 25, right. 26. 26 feels right. I think he's twenty six. Uh, so we didn't release anybody else of note, did we? I don't think so. Not of note. Um, a few others, probably. Let's see. Twenty five. Is Brooks Lennon? Yeah, so it's only twenty-five. And our boy Almada. Woo! Oh yeah, that's good. That's got added to the squad late. Maybe we'll see some Tiago Almada, given how things are going for Argentina. I don't think so, yeah. but he was on the bench. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I saw him walking off the field. Yeah, yeah he's there yeah. at the World Cup. Good for him. Any injuries uh, today during that game? Everybody leave healthy for Argentina. I think so. Yeah, okay. I think everyone. I didn't really healthy. see anybody okay. limp off, but you know, you never know. Wasn't watching that closely for that. <laughs> well, you never know. It might be one of those things where if some players in the midfield are not playing with the right heart, maybe uh, the young kid gets a shot for the future. Sure. If if maybe that third game is, it's already over. So obviously we'll we'll revisit. You know, after the U.S. game on Friday, um, we will revisit. At that point, we'll have seen every team play at least once, and we'll revisit who we think looks legit and is who is a contender. But you know, as of now, you see anybody you like? Um, through the early games, you know, as much as I hate to admit it, France is going to be scary. Um, <laughs> You're going to lose your bet, but <laughs> even with all those injuries, they can still implode. What they is the What is the bet, they, Carmen? They you looked it up, right? Yeah, they the, can. The bet was is uh, they will they'll make it out of the. I said I, they would make it out of the group, but they wouldn't advance beyond. The 16. Yeah. I think that was the bet, right? I think so. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing is I don't think they can implode anymore because all of the guys who are going to be the egos who argue with Mbappe, who's the big ego, mm. right, is <laughs> Benzema, Pogba, right? Those guys are gone, yeah. right? They're not there, right? That's so the big egos are not there. They only have got one ego. Yeah. And then what do you think about the drama uh, in the Portugal camp? Yeah. Given Ooh. your boy Ronaldo did his interview with 
Yeah. Pierce, Pierce Morgan. And they announced today he got released by Man United by mutual okay. consent. So it's Carmen, amicable. It's Car- amicable. Carmen, you're a lawyer. What does that mean? <laughs> There's no such thing. Oh. Me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That guy is a Chester. Total Chester. I mean, talk about not having any sort of thick skin. Move on, dude. You got to go do an interview. I mean, please. You want you want my hot take? Oh, God, Ooh. he's just such a Chester. You want my hot take? That's why he'll never be considered the best player in the world, because he, he is just a Chester. Here's my hot take, Mikey Dobbs. Do it. Cristiano Ronaldo is Manchester United through and through. He got his start there as a 17-year-old lad. He came through. He bleeds red. And he took one for the team. He went on on the Pierce Morgan show and bashed the club so that they could amicably depart. They no longer have to pay his contract and are saddled with it. They don't have the transfer fee. And he just freed Manchester United for good. So he took one for the team, Mikey Dobbs. Yeah, man. Maybe. That's my take. I wish we had a button for hot take. I feel yeah, like I should sing take. it. Katz's hot take. <laughs> but, I mean. He did it for the glory of the Red Devils Man United, man. <laughs> was that Irish or I don't British? Know. But it was something truthfully, about. nice hot take and all, but what do you what do you think as a fan of him? Oh, in reality, I think he's just a big whiner, and he was complaining because he he doesn't know that he's not old. That he's old, he's not getting any more playing yeah. time, and you know. But good for Man United. But didn't he? Ha- did he have the most? And it really, he took it for the team, Mikey Dobbs. But he did have the most <laughs> goals in the EPL last year. Am I wrong on that? Or- he had a lot of goals. He was the leading scorer, Man United, but not the leading not scorer the lead. in the EPL. Okay, no. All right, he was up there though. Yeah, yeah. yeah last year, last yeah. year he was up there. So he can still finish. Do you so think that he all, starts for Portugal? Well, yes, yes, a hundred percent. Do you think and he should start for Portugal if he scores goals? Yeah, yeah, but I think he's he's, he's holding back Portugal too. They have a we really don't know good yet. So if he goes in and starts scoring goals, all's good for for Portugal. He goes in and Portugal doesn't do well, and the coach has to make that decision that he's going to sit Ronaldo. Watch the wheels fall off, baby. Even if he scores goals, though, I think the team is probably better without him. Yeah. Um, probably. It's sad. It's sad because, I mean, he, what a great player. Yeah. But um, And if he could accept his role, then he would be absolutely amazing. Um, but I think the team is probably better without him. And I agree with you. I don't think they're going to sit him. Yeah. It's too big. So it's too, too big. Too, <laughs> too <laughs> big to fail. Two o'clock now, the biggest game of the World Cup Ugh. is hosted at my house uh big party carmen you're coming yes dave you're coming it seems like there's more people clicking yes on the evite it's gonna be fun i hope the rain does not spoil things too much so i don't know that's, a, that's we're like, having a cook-off right what you making i'm doing like 20 pounds of pork butt on I, the green I'm, egg. I'm doing smoked wings excellent it's gonna be good yeah it's gonna be so good i'll bring drinks <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, and there'll be no lack of of beverages. Uh, we've got a, a emergency drinking beer keg from our sponsor, Wild Heaven. Nice. God Life is good. Boys. Life yeah. is good. And then uh, we're we're probably going to be limping in too after stuffing ourselves after Thanksgiving <laughs> uh, dinner the night before too. What? Yeah. Okay. All right. I think we talked about it all. We talked about it all. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take-